Good afternoon. Welcome to Parsha A. We're going to do the Parsha share on a particularly interesting topic today. It's on the subject of meat. Uh, and uh, meat is ubiquitous. We're all eating meat, whether or not we should. I don't know how many vegans or vegetarians listen to this share. I, I, would, I would say it's probably not that many. Uh, and we all are familiar with the fact that uh, we are expected to eat meat. You know that there's this story that Rav Cook, who was the chief rabbi of Palestine, the first chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael uh, from 19, 1920 onwards, first he was the rabbi of Yerushalayim, then he became the chief rabbi of Palestine uh, during the British Mandate uh, era. He was, so they say, a vegetarian. I know that not to be true because uh, I have it on evidence uh, from people who lived in London and it's uh, written evidence that he would eat meat on Shabbos. I'm not sure that he ate meat, by the way. I think he may have only eaten chicken. Uh, but it's a fact that uh, vegetarianism, even though uh, it has a lot of support, and there are people of vegetarians, you know, the Kamenitzer Magid, I've spoken about him in the past, the Kamenitzer Magid, who was a, a very great orator who lived in London, and he was originally from Kamenitz. He was a, a fabulous speaker. He died sadly at the age of 55 or 56 in London in 1916. He was a vegetarian and he was such a strict vegetarian that he wouldn't even wear the leather shoes. He would wear cloth shoes. Uh, it uh, clearly didn't help him in terms of his health uh, and he died very young. But uh, people are very committed to their vegetarianism. But in this week's parasha we have it very explicit that people can eat meat. It's a posuk in parasha A. It tends to get overlooked because it's kind of a brief mention, but it's important because, um, you know, Meseches Chulin is based on this posuk in Parshastra A, which talks about Shechita. There's, other, of course, other references in the Torah, but this is the source, this is the headquarters of the fact that in Judaism we don't proscribe meat, we don't say that meat is forbidden, and in my grandfather's Sefer, Mikdash Alevi, he devotes quite a lot of attention to this posuk and this concept uh, in, in the Torah as to whether or not Jews are permitted to eat meat and what that means. So I'm going to, to talk about meat today, bosar, um, and uh, you can uh, draw any conclusions that you want. I wouldn't want to tell somebody who is a vegetarian that they should start eating meat because it says in the Torah that you can. I wouldn't tell somebody that uh, uh, they must eat meat, as you're going to see this share is very much devoted to the, uh, to the certain, I guess, restrictions. It may be a bit of a heavy word, but the limitations to eating meat that seem to be hinted at in the posuk. But whatever the case may be, I think it's an important topic to address, and it's something that is, uh, that is very much a part of our lives. Jewish life is very much about food, and we celebrate Bosar v'dogim v'chom matamim. When it comes to Shabbos, we eat meat, we eat fish, and all the wonderful foods that we have. And that's uh, something that's mentioned. It's something that we are familiar with. So let's look at what the Torah has to say about eating meat. Ki yarchiv Hashem Eloikecha es gvulcha. When Hashem, God, enlarges your territory. You're about to go into the promised land. You're about to go into Eretz Yisrael. You're going to take over from the Canaanites. It is going to be your territory. It's going to be a very broad area, um, land that you're going to be living in. Kasha Dibeloch, as he told you that he would. V'amarta, 
and you'll say you're going to be living there you're going to be farmers and you're going to be living there and you're going to say I want to eat meat I quite fancy a nice steak I wouldn't mind a lamb chop because you want to eat meat you're going to say let's eat meat because I'd like to eat it I'd like to have a nice uh, hot dog I want to have a uh, beef burger. I want to be able to eat me. I want to have a barbecue. I want to invite my friends over for a barbecue. Says the Pasuk, you may eat meat whenever you want. This is a fantastic Pasuk because it's telling us something that clearly we didn't know before. And that's what the Mikdash Halevi is going to focus on a little bit. But it presents it to us in such a way that it seems to be a response to our sudden interest in meat that the permission was given for us to eat meat. Let's look at what the Mikdash Halevi says. It would seem that this posuk specifies, and for the first time in the whole Torah, the permission Practically, we are now allowed to eat basar hatava, which is the meat of desire. We're going to define that. The entire time for 40 years that the Jewish people were in the Midbar, besides for those occasions when they demanded meat, I'm not going to go into that today. The Mishkan, the sanctuary, was in their midst and very close by. How did they eat? How did people eat? What did they eat? That they had food that was prepared for them in advance and that was constantly available to them on a daily basis. It was called mon, in English manna. They had this food that was somehow delivered to them and it was in the dew that was surrounding the encampment and every day they would go and collect it and there it was and they could eat and they were fully satisfied. They didn't have to concern themselves foraging for food because there it was. So what meat did they eat if they ate meat at all? The only meat that they were permitted to eat was the meat of the carbon shlomim, a special carbon that you could give as your own personal recognition of your thanks to Hashem for whatever it is you've done in your life. You bring a carbon, an animal, to the Mishkan, that would go through the Shechita process and parts of it would be permitted for you to eat. That was the only meat that the Jewish people were permitted to eat throughout their time in the wilderness. Anybody who wanted to have a carbon Shlomim, all he needed to do was All he needed to do was come to the Mishkan, visit the Mishkan with the animal in tow. Bring the carbon, they could eat it. By the way, if you, if you never brought a carbon shlomim, if you were a person who didn't feel the need or perhaps didn't have the flocks of animals with you in the wilderness, you never brought a carbon shlomim, you would never eat meat. You're quite happy you could survive happily on the mon. When the Jewish nation enters into the promised land, into Eretz Yisrael, then they don't have any mon anymore. There's no mon coming down from Shemaim. And unless you happen to live close by to the Mishkan, it's not nearby. 
and it's a long journey and we don't have trains we don't have planes and we don't have automobiles and therefore it's not necessarily true that you can easily make your way to the Mishkan obviously three times a year for Pesach Shavuos uh, and Sukkot, you would go, you'd be Eulah L'Regal, but on a regular Shabbos, you want to have meat in your chulant, what do you do? You can't have it. You can't just nip over to the Mishkan and bring a Kobran Shlomim and come back with the meat that's permitted and put that in your chulant. You can't do that. And therefore the Torah here in this Posuk permits the consumption of meat, even if it's not a carbon. Don't have to bring a carbon shlomim in order for you to have um, in order for you to have meat in your chulant or to have a nice prime rib or to invite people over for a barbecue. So it would appear that the realities of day-to-day life changed completely the needs, the requirements. As a result of that, it would appear from the way the posuk is presented and the way I've just uh, translated it for you and presented it for you now, that as a result of the needs and requirements changing, because the realities of the situation of the Midbar were no longer the realities of the situation as they lived in Eretz Yisrael, it would appear that as a result of that, meat became permitted. Before then it wasn't, now it is. Ella. However, we still need to explain exactly what's going on here. If you look closely at the Posuk, and I kind of hinted it when I read the Posuk and when I spoke about it immediately afterwards, but it gives the impression as it were, it would seem that the Torah is giving in to the fact that a person has these de- insatiable desires and in order to satisfy those desires, the Torah has kind of given in, has compromised with the reality of the situation and said, okay, you know, really you shouldn't eat meat, but okay, we'll allow you to eat meat. Because of this desire, this insatiable need that a person has, at least he thinks he has, to eat meat. But now he can't fulfill that desire by bringing a carbon shlomim because he no longer lives in close proximity to the Mishkan. He Suddenly the law changes and the ritual law changes. We have a complete change of direction in the Torah. Before that time, for all intents and purposes, people lived more or less a vegetarian life unless they brought a carbon shlamim. They never brought one, they never ate meat. If they wanted to eat meat, they would have to go through the process of bringing a sacrifice in the Mishkan. Now they don't want to bring the sacrifice in the Mishkan. So what do they do? They, uh, well, they have to be vegetarians. No, no. The Torah says you don't have to be a vegetarian. You can eat meat if you want to eat it. Okay, interesting. So these basic things, af it can't, we can't just accept them the way. I mean, this is a basic understanding of what the what the Torah seems to be saying, but we can't just accept it. We can't just say that that's what the Torah is saying. Really, you shouldn't eat meat, but because we know you're going to eat meat. Even though you shouldn't eat it, you might eat it, therefore we're going to allow it, we're going to permit it. We can't say. 
Now, Oisam um, says says the um, says the Mikdash Halevi. Sorry, I, I skipped ahead. Elo Shadain Lechayet Shrichem Anu Levayer. He meshane es hadim ve es halocha. Belichayra klum yitochin adova. Says the Mikdash Shalevi, it doesn't make any sense. Halo yatorim oidedes oisonu davka lichboish es atavos. The Torah specifically says that we must conquer our desires. Beloy lehashlim iton ulehagrer achreen. Uligore achreen. It doesn't, uh, the Torah is not encouraging us to fulfill those desires and to be drawn after them. That is not what the Torah wants to see us doing. Therefore says the Mikdash HaLevi that the meaning of these matters of whatever we've just discussed needs further explanation and needs to be understood more with more clarity and that's what we're going to do now. We know that there are certain things which are absolute requirements for, an, for a person in order for him to survive. Without them, you will surely die. So among those things, we could, for example, say bread. You need to have your carbs. If you don't have your carbs, you're not going to survive. Bread. You need to drink water. You don't drink water. Two, three days without water, you're definitely going to die. You need air to breathe. Without oxygen, if you don't breathe, you're going to suffocate and you'll die. Those are things which are just basic requirements of life. You need those things. So here we are. These are the basic aspects of human life. We can't just accept them as if they just happen. It just happens to be there. It happens to be we have air and we have to expect it. And our expectations are if there's not air, it's a chutzpah. How come God didn't give us any air? No, we can't say that. We are obligated, we are expected to thank Hashem even for the most basic aspects of our lives that, that we need in order to sustain life. They are not unique, they're not exclusive. This is regular, it's routine. This is, geez, these are things that, you mean. if you wake up in the morning, there's air. You don't have to think, where is the air? I need to go after air. If I don't have the air, if I don't go to the shop and buy it, how am I going to have it? Even bread. Bread is one of the most basic aspects. Water, yes, you may have to go and find a well, dig a well, and you're going to have it. But for us, obviously, it's, it's an absolute basic um, uh, availability that we have water. We turn on the faucet and the water comes out of the tap. That's not the same as meat. I mean, there's no faucet that I'm aware of that you can just turn and meat comes out of the faucet. Similarly, there's no such thing as uh, um, uh, uh, in terms of food that you could just expect it in the same way as you have bread. Bread is just like a staple of our diets. You have to be, have bread available because you need, you need to be able to eat the food that's going to give you the energy to survive. Meat is not that thing. But aspakosam laguf, their supply to the body. That means bread, water, air, and anything else that you can think of that is a basic need and requirement. It's, it's, the, it's based on a need, an actual need, a physical need, without which you're not going to survive. It's not something you desire. It's not a luxury. It is something that is basic to the needs of the human experience. Me'ata. 
Now, we've seen that the Torah has permitted the consumption of meat even once we have uh, um, come to a place where we're not close by the Mishkan, where we bring Korbanus. The Gam even if it's not something that comes under the rubric of bringing a Korban Shlomim. You're not bringing a Korban Shlomim, but the Torah says it's okay to eat meat. What, what might happen as a result of that? His Oirer Chashash, a concern now arises. Pengis Raglu Now the Jewish people are going to say, okay, we can eat meat. Therefore, it becomes a staple. It becomes a basic requirement like air, like bread, like water. That's what's going to happen. You're suddenly going to think, I need to have meat. It's an essential component of my life. It's chiyuni. I need it. It's essential. It's required. A person might think that I cannot possibly survive. I cannot continue without it. And therefore, the Torah warns and mentions again and again. It points this out. It raises this issue time and again. Even though meat is permitted to eat. Do you know what it is? Do you want to understand what meat is? It's not something that is an essential component of your life. Just because you're allowed to have it, doesn't mean you have to have it. It comes under the rubric. It's defined as something that's a tava, a material desire. It's something that you may want, you may feel like having. It's a want. I want to have it. Do you need it? If you never had meat again for the rest of your life, could you survive? Of course you could. You could find even your proteins. You don't need to have meat to have protein. Dovomar, it's something mayuchad special. It's something that God in his goodness and his kindness gives us. He grants us, despite the fact that it's not necessary for us. Because he wants to give us a benefit. It's a kindness of God that meat is available and that we can have it. It's not something that's necessary. Nobody needs meat. It's something that you have, which is over and above the regular requirements of the human condition. If you look at the posuk in Parshas Beshalach, you can see in that posuk a hint at the fact that this is the case. How? It says, a posuk shmois in tezayin posuk ches. Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Jewish people, tonight Hashem is going to give you meat to eat. The lechem baboiker, he's going to give you bread in the morning. Losoiva, to your satisfaction. Two different words, the definition, description there. One is lechoil, one is losoiva, perish Rashi. What does Rashi uh, say to explain the differentiation between these two words? He explains it beautifully. Bosor lechoil, Bosor is to eat, but not to satisfaction. It's not that kind of food. Says Rashi, 
Never eat meat until you're stuffed. That's not the point of meat. Meat is a luxury. Meat is something that you eat in small portions in order to enjoy it, to savor it, to appreciate it. But it's not something that you need to eat to the fullness of your satisfaction in order to live. That's not the purpose of meat. The purpose of meat is to have a good time. And that's the way you should treat it. The Posuk explain means that the bread was given to the Jewish people in the morning. Why? That's the prime time for eating in the day. They should eat it to their satisfaction. In the morning you need to have a full meal in order to function for the rest of the day, that becomes the foundation of your daily sustenance. That is an absolute requirement, a necessity for a human being. On the other hand, when it comes to meat, that can, you can have in the evening. When you've already had a full day of a couple of meals, you've had breakfast, you'd have lunch. Now in the evening, you have meat. That's not the purpose of the meat is not that you're going to stuff yourself with it. That's not the food that you're eating, eating in order to survive. To have pleasure. That's why you're having the meat. To satisfy the desire. It's specifically not seen as a need, as a requirement. It's a desire. That's it. That's what it is. And we can see from the, the posuk that follows on. Immediately after the Torah permits the eating of meat of desire, tells us, you know what, you want to eat meat? You've actually got to do a whole bunch of mitzvahs before you eat the meat. Don't imagine that eating the meat is something you can do immediately. We know already that Eber Menachai is not permitted. You're not allowed to rip off the uh, limb or meat from an animal and just eat it like animals, like other carnivores. You want to eat meat? You want to be a human carnivore? You've got to treat the meat with respect. You can't be cruel to the animal. But even the method of killing the animal has to be done in a special way, has to be done in such a way that it takes into account that we're not just going to rush in and eat. You have to do shechito. Zavachto, zevach means shechito. You have to do the ritual slaughter the same as they do in the Mishkan. It's called chulin. It's not the shechita that you do in a korban because it's not something that is sanctified for a korban. But nevertheless, the same method of slaughtering the animal has to be used. Those same um, um, methods that one uses in the Mishkan have to be used for the, for the cattle and for the sheep that Hashem gave you, and this is what God commanded you to do, that you must do shechita. And then, only then, if you do the shechita, there's many other laws and regulations that are associated with the ritual slaughter of kosher animals. All of those things you have to do if you want to satisfy your desire to eat meat. 
ללמדנו תתיצ'ס. כי גם לאחר שהתירה לא נעטרס התאווה הזו, even though Hashem, the Torah, permitted us this particular desire. It's not a necessity, it's a desire. שאין הצורך. It's not needed. We don't need it. You don't need to eat meat. If you never ate meat, it would be fine. עלינו להקפיד שהיא תשמש ככלי לרוחניוס. That this aspect of our existence, which you might see as very mundane, I just want to have a good time. Even that becomes a vehicle for spirituality and for spiritual growth. That is how important it is. That even though it's not related to the Mishkan, even though it's to satisfy your desires, nevertheless it becomes a platform for spiritual growth. And even though this, this is the foundation of our desires, the most base element of, of the human experience, something that we want to do but we don't need to do, That's not necessarily what you think Hashem would want us to do. Nevertheless, we can do it as long as it becomes the possibility, offers us the opportunity to stock up more and more good deeds, more and more mitzvahs that bring us closer to Hashem. Therefore, before you eat meat, we have to fulfill and discharge all of our duties in terms of doing proper shechita, the ritual slaughter according to all the laws and requirements. Lekayim babosas mitzvahs v'zavachta, in order to fulfill this mitzvah of shechita, of v'zavachta, as it says in the Pasuk. Shekein la'amita shodova, because truly, if you want to understand it, zuhi atachlis amitis l'chol hanoas ha'olam. This, in fact, is the essential component of all things from which we take pleasure in this world. Lekayim al yodon es ha-mitzvahs. Through them, to perform mitzvahs. Take those things that are just the mundane aspects of day-to-day life, and through those things that we do, do a mitzvah. That is the purpose of life. And we don't separate the two. We don't say, well, we have ritual mitzvahs, And those are the things that bring us closer to Hashem. But in terms of day-to-day life, we just have to conduct ourselves in, in, I guess, a humane fashion. But it's got nothing to do with mitzvahs. No, even those things which you think are just day-to-day life, eating food, eating food that you like, that you don't need, even that becomes the platform for, for coming closer to Hashem. To elevate the level of the material in this world, to make it into an object of sanctity. And it's self-understood. And we don't limit this idea simply to meat. The fact that you're allowed to eat meat, now that becomes the object through which one can turn the mundane into the sacred. No. Anything that is permitted to you, but it's not necessarily related to a mitzvah, or might be something that you think of not as a mitzvah necessarily, becomes the vehicle for this idea. Every single one of those mutarais, these are things which are not considered a necessity, they're not required. And you're given permission, you're allowed to enjoy those things, you're allowed to have a good time. You're allowed to simply enjoy yourself as a human being, there's no prohibition. 
in Jewish law on having a nice time of enjoying yourself as long as every aspect of enjoyment that you have in your life is somehow connected to Hashem. Thank you Hashem for giving me the opportunity doing a mitzvah in order or as part of the enjoyment of whatever it is that you're taking pleasure out of. We need to really understand and appreciate the clear boundary. That in and of itself becomes a way of recognizing Hashem. We need to recognize the difference of those things that are required in order to live and those things which are simply desires, things that we enjoy and take pleasure out of. And to be fussy, to make sure that the fulfillment of our desires should always be as part of the framework of the mitzvahs that Hashem gave us to do. which doesn't become something which is totally profane, totally secular, totally ungodly. That this is something that I'm doing, but it's not related to Hashem. You know, I've said this so many times before. There's a certain type of religious Jew that thinks, okay, I'm religious when I'm in the context of a shir, or if I'm in the context of going to shul, or I'm in shul, I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm making kiddush at home. Otherwise, I'm just like everybody else. I'm a regular person, just like everybody else. There's no such thing as a regular person. There's no such thing as regular. There's no such thing as doing something which doesn't somehow connect with your avodas Hashem. You have to find the connection. You have to make sure that that connection exists. In fact, even in the things that you enjoy and you take pleasure out of, you can find that connection and elevate it to the most elevated level that it can be. That is your job in this world. It's a beautiful idea. It shouldn't just be totally material. It should somehow take on a dimension of sanctity, of being sacred, in order for it to fulfill its function in this world, its blessed function, its blessed purpose of elevating us, not that just we elevate it, but through it we become elevated. That's Vatura number one. Let's continue. And here, the Mikdash Alevi quotes Rashi. Pirish Rashi. Torah is teaching you good behavior. This is the way you should behave. The Posuk is telling us it's only it's only when you have the fulfillment of all the things that you need in terms of the broadening of your territory. That's when you can fulfill your desires. Not before. When you've reached that level that the desire for meat is not going to interfere with whatever it is else that you're doing, that's when you can desire meat. Listen to what the Mikdash Shalevi says. It's a bit short, but it's beautiful. If you want to know, what, what is something, what is the a great fear that we all have? That we're going to fall, that we're going to somehow sink in our behavior, 
we're not going to match up to our own expectations for ourselves, but we have, we, we're human, and we have within us the capacity to fall, not to perform as we should. And what, what is the basis? What is the essence of that failing within us? What is it? We know that there's a general rule. That somebody who has, and this is based on a Mishnah, somebody who has a mone, has 100. He suddenly wants 200. If you have nothing, you can't want double nothing. But if you have something, you may want double that which you already have. That's a basic weakness of human nature. That once you've got something, it's never enough. You always want more. And once you have that more, you'll want more again. That is a weakness. It's a human failing. Nobody's ever satisfied with that which he has in terms of material possessions. Everybody always wants more and more than whatever it is that they have at present. It's, it's, a, it's a human failing. But it's part of the human condition. It's real. So now, Hashem is going to expand the territory, and we're talking broadly speaking here, expand the territory of what it is that a person has. We were talking about people settling in Eretz and suddenly being, they're having a lot of real estate, and they feel good about themselves. Oh, I'm wealthy, I have this, I have that. If I've got a big house, and I've got a big dining room, I've got a big table, suddenly I want to have a meal that's fitting to that big house, and that big dining room, and that big table. He's going to want to have it. It's not good enough for me just to have vegetables. I can't serve vegetable soup and uh, cooked vegetables. I've got to have a nice uh, a piece of meat that I have a carving station. It makes a lot of sense for me in such a beautiful setting to have a wonderful piece of meat to serve everybody. This now, through the fact that they come to Eretz Yisrael, the expression of this human failing is going to come into, into reality. It's going to come into play. That's the fact. It's, it, it, it's going to happen. The Torah is predicting the facts as they are going to occur. So how should we react? What should we do when we encounter that desire to have something which is fitting with the environment which we now live? We no longer live in the wilderness. We don't live in a desert in a tent. We now live in a beautiful big country manor. And we're the, you know, the local porrots. We expect to have all the things, all the accoutrements that go along with that identity. You know what's going to happen? That person is going to not just want that which he can afford, he's going to want even that which he can't afford. That's the danger. The danger is you're going to always want more, but not just more in terms of, well, I can afford it, so I may as well buy more. You're going to want something that you can't really afford, that you can't really pay for. You're going to want more over and above what it is that you can manage. That's something which will always put you on the precipice of disaster. People who outspend their earnings and are always 
in hock to people from whom they borrowed money or perhaps taken money without delivering the goods that they should are unfortunately not just going to fail but fail spectacularly. And therefore here it is specifically necessary to make reference to this. You know what? The Torah wants to tell you, you're going to have this desire. And we can't do anything about that. It's a reality. You want to eat meat? No problem. You've got to make sure that you can afford the meat that you want to buy and that you want to eat or want to serve. And that's what Rashi means. Rashi means to tell us only in terms of what it is that you are enabled to do by the shefa that Hashem gives you, that's what you should do. Don't overburden yourself. Don't go overboard. Don't cross that boundary, that red line, which is going to bring you into penury. That's going to unfortunately make you suffer because you don't have sufficient funds. You don't have sufficient wealth. You don't have sufficient means to pay for because you pay for the meat that you desire but can't afford. It's a warning. The Torah is giving you this hint in the wording that's used in the Pasuk. It's a warning. Don't push yourself into a situation where you're not going to be able to manage. Like some people do. They, they overextend themselves to such an extent that unfortunately they come crashing down. We want, the Torah says, we want you to live a chaye mutorais. Um, we want you to live something that is permitted, that is, uh, that is sufficient um, based on what it is that you have. That's the way you should do it. Continues the Mikdash Alevi, and this is the third piece that I'm going to share with you today. A beautiful piece. A very strange posuk, and there's uh, there's gemaras uh, uh, on this, and and there's a lot of chazal that deal with this posuk. The posuk basically means that the laws of shechita don't just apply to behemoths, which are domesticated animals, but they also apply to wild animals, animals that you don't necessarily have on your farm, but which you can go out and hunt. You're able to ca- catch uh, a deer or some gazelle or whatever it is, and then you can eat it because it's a permitted animal. It chews the cud, uh, it rumin- it's a ruminating animal, and it also has split hooves, which means that according to the Torah law you can eat it, but it's not something that's domesticated. You can't go into your back garden and get it. But you are still permitted to take that animal to do shechita on it and to eat it. In fact, the posuk adds something strange, which requires interpretation. You can eat the pure and the impure together. You can eat it. Exactly what that means. Well, we're going to see the Mikdash Alevi deals with it in one aspect. But there's interpretations, and essentially what it means is that if you're eating. Meat, you can either, you can eat the meat of something which is kodshim together with something that's not kodshim. 
You're permitted to eat meat if it's gone through shechita, and that's something which is ingrained in this um, this uh, this uh, Torah law that allows us to eat meat. We're permitted to eat meat. We're permitted to eat meat from a cow. It's called beef. We're t- permitted to eat meat from a lamb. We're p- permitted to eat venison from a deer. We're permitted to eat the game meat from an antelope or from a gazelle. You're allowed to have those meats. There's no restriction on the meat of an animal that has split hooves and ruminates has and chews the curd. You're permitted to eat all of those kinds of meat, but there are certain differentiations, and the Mikdash Halevi is going to focus beautifully on those differentiations. The Posuk, there's many aspects of this Posuk that require further interpretation and understanding. And Nero's Tamois Bashkofer is showing up because when you look at it first, you just can't quite understand it. You don't know what the Posuk is talking about. It's compl- complicated and confusing. Racious, firstly, what does the word ach mean at the, at the beginning of the passage? Ach means also. Also, what does it mean? The word ach at the beginning of the passage requires further interpretation. But generally speaking, when we have ach at the beginning of a passage or within a sentence in classical Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, what it means is to exclude, to create an exclusion. Ach! Somehow, ach, but also, I just want to tell you one other thing, another condition which you weren't aware of if you looked at the original text, the first posuk. Ulam Khan, but in this situation, there's nothing here that's being excluded after the ach comes. In fact, quite the reverse. You might have thought that you're not allowed to have uh, tzvi and anayol, and yet the posuk is permitting them. Elodavka marbe machadesh. This posuk adds, it creates a new chiddush, something, it's a novelty that we didn't know in advance. Any meat that fits in with the categories of what's a permitted animal can be eaten outside of the Beis HaMikdosh if a person so desires, as long as it goes through the Shechita process of the ritual slaughter. And not just in the Beis HaMikdosh, as it had been until now in the Mishkan, that was where you could eat meat. Anywhere you can eat meat, and any meat that you want to eat, there's no exclusions. Furthermore, there's something that we need to understand. How is it that the Torah um, compares the Shechita of a Tzoyn, a lamb, and Bokor, which is a cow, which are considered behemoths, domesticated animals, to the shechita of a tzvi, a deer, and a gazelle, because they're wild animals. The antelope and the deer are wild animals. How come these two different, completely different types of animal are being compared here? How is it possible that the shechita of one should be identical with the shechita or should be considered in the same vein, in the same in the same, almost the same sentence as the Shechita of the other. Bifratis atzim kushyozu, and this question gets it becomes even stronger. Le'er ha'uvda she'yeshom chilukim mashmoyusiyim ben shechitas ve'achilas chayo, because there are significant practical differences between the Shechita, the slaughter that you do 
on a wild animal, and the shechita and the eating of a domesticated animal. We know that there are significant and real differences in terms of halacha as to what is permitted and what isn't permitted when it comes to a chaya and a behemah, and those differences somehow are blurred over. They're kind of become vague when you just put everything in the same boat. When an ayol and a uh, and a, uh, uh, an ayal and a tzvi are put into the same category, as it were, as the tzoyin and the bokor. For example, you have to do the covering up of the blood when it comes to a wild animal. But you don't have to do it when it comes to a domesticated animal. Says the Mikdash Alevi, perhaps we can answer it this way. There is one aspect of the Chaya, and it opens up this difference between Chaya and Behemoth. There's one significant difference between a wild animal and a domesticated animal, and that is that a wild animal needs to be hunted. You, you can't just go to backyard and and find a wild animal, it doesn't happen that way. We don't raise wild animals in our farmland, in our in our territory, in our in our controlled territory. But when it comes to domesticated animal, they live in within your territory, they never go anywhere. They don't run away. They live on your territory and they're totally under your control. You don't have to hunt them. If you want to get one of them, all you need to do is go to the pen of the tzoyn, of the lambs, or the sheep, or if you want to go to a cow to get the beef, you just need to go there. You need to pick it up and move it to wherever it is you're going to do the shechita and do the shechita. Little behema, lishchoit velechol. You just do the shechit on the animal and then you're able to eat it. He brings a beautiful idea from the parsha that deals with the brochos that Yitzchak gave. Initially, he wanted to give them to Esau, but eventually he gave them to Yaakov. But what did he do? Esau came to see him. And Esau said, I want the brochos, whatever it is, or he said he wants to give him the brochos. What did Yitzchak Avinu do? in anticipation of giving Esau, his son, his oldest son, the brachas, he sent him off to hunt for, uh, for, for some game, for some venison, to bring back to him, to serve him for a meal. When he wanted to bless his son Esau, he said to him, this is a posuk in Perik Chavzayin, posuk Gimel, so he says, take your, your, your um, tools of hunting, take your bow, take your arrow, whatever it is that you have. Go to the field, go out into the, into the, uh, into the forest, as it were, go and hunt me an animal, some type of game that you can bring home and do shechita on and serve me for dinner. And it, it seems puzzling. Why? Why did Yitzchak need to send his child, Esau, to hunt meat in the field? Was he short of flocks? Was he short of meat? 
in his own farms that he needed to send Esau out to hunt to find some meat. Did he not have enough animals in his flocks? Couldn't you have just said to him, you know what, around the back there's a sheep pen. Go and find the nicest, juiciest looking sheep and make that, turn that into a nice dinner for me. What did he need to go and send him out to hunt an animal for? Why would Yitzhak have done that? Says the Mikdash Alevi, a beautiful answer. I hope you remember it when we come back to Bereshis. He says this answer. Do you know what? We always think, we always believe that Yitzchak was not aware that Esau was bad. Well, he was very aware. A father knows their son, and he, know, he knew that Esau was, even though Esau pretended him to be a tzaddik, he knew very well that Esau was a rasha. And therefore he's not worthy of a blessing. Why? Because he's always doing averus. He never does any mitzvahs. And therefore, because of this, He sent him out into the wild beyond in order to hunt an animal. And to bring it back. He knew it would take him many hours. Because during this time that he's hunting, his whole energy is going to be focused. He's going to realize how hard he has to work in order to achieve this objective. What's the objective? To do the mitzvah, to bring this food for his father. All of the hours that he would devote to the hunt would be devoted to a mitzvah. And that would serve for his benefit. As a result of this, he would recognize the importance of doing a mitzvah. And he would enjoy it. And he would embrace it. It would become a part of him. And also, he who has commanded him. In this case, his father. But his father becomes the vehicle for him to perform a mitzvah. And he totally focused. Not just he wants to have a hunt. And he wants to kill an animal and eat it. It's not just for his own personal gain. Every minute, every second that he spent out there in the field hunting for the animal was, was time spent doing a mitzvah and thinking about the mitzvah he's doing it and why he's doing it and who asked him to do it. As a result of which Yitzchak believed and hoped that he would, Esau would do teshuva, would repent and therefore he would be worthy of the blessing that Yitzchak would give him. And this becomes the nukuda, the point in the discussion that we've been having about the difference between the wild animals and the domesticated animals. The Torah teaches us. Uh, even though behemoths are ready, they're ready available. They're off the shelf, as it were. We don't have to go through the bother of having to hunt them and to find them and then hunt them and trap them and bring them back so that we can shech them in order to eat them. We mustn't just rush in, shech them and eat them right away. Within, we could eat them literally within a few minutes. No, no, it's a process. And we have to go through various different aspects of the process in order to achieve our objective. We can't just do it without advance, uh, without forethought, without 
advanced thinking before what it is that we're doing. We have to somehow behave towards them as we would behave towards a chaya. We don't have to hunt them, but some aspect of what we do with them has to reflect the fact that we need to think through what it is that we're doing and not just do it on impulse. We somehow have to create a bit of a situation when it comes to a behemoth that can be compared to the chaya, can be compared to the tzvi and to the ayal. And only then can we shecht it as we desire. We have to recognize that that process that leads up to the eating of a chaya, which is a long process, it's a drawn out process of hunting, that somehow has to be reflected in our attitude towards the shechita of an animal that is domesticated and is immediately available to us. And all the mitzvahs that surround the shechita are a reflection of that. And now we can understand why one particular mitzvah, which makes doesn't make much sense, the, the, the fats, there are certain aspects of the fat of a chaya which are permitted to us, which we're permitted to eat, which we don't have to cut away. We don't have to purge them from the meat. But but the Torah tells us when it comes to behemoth, a domesticated animal, they are not permitted. There's one very well-known, familiar reason as to why that is. Because that part of the behemoth, the domesticated animal, specifically, that is what is sacrificed, that's what's offered up on the altar, on the mizbeach. But you know that the chelev, this particular fat of the wild animal, even if you can bring a carbon, a wild animal, you wouldn't be able to offer up that chelev, that particular fat. On, so it's a bit pointless. You can't offer up, the, offer up that fat. You can't bring it onto Mizbeach. So because we want to recognize that that aspect of the animal is something that would be brought onto Mizbeach, onto an altar, we don't eat it ourselves. Because that somehow, even though this isn't a carbon, nevertheless, we want to recognize that that particular part of the animal is something that one could offer up for a carbon, and therefore we don't eat it ourselves. When it comes to a chaya, it's not relevant to us. So that's the main reason, that's the specific reason that's often cited as the reason why the chaylev, the fat of a chaya, is permitted, whereas the chaylev of a, of a behemoth is not. But because of what we just said in the previous um, thing that I addressed, we can give an alternative explanation which is beautiful and really gives a sense of the difference between the Chaya and the Behemoth and yet how we try and uh, create a comparison, create a correlation between the two. A person who wants to eat, specifically wants to go for game meat, wants to have the meat of, of a deer or the meat of a gazelle or an antelope. You can't just go out into your backyard and get it. That, that's going to take some effort. That's going to take some energy. You have to 
You know what's going to happen? He's going to have to put on all his hunting gear. He's going to have to set the traps. He's going to have to wait out for a long time in the cold or the boiling hot, or whatever it is that the weather is outside. Wait for the animal to get trapped. Hope that the animal's not going to be damaged to such an extent that he's not going to be able to do shit on it. Somehow create a situation where he can put that animal uh, in an enclosure, do the shita and then eat it. Then prepare it to be eaten. During the entire period that he's going through this hunting and trapping process, he's going to be putting a lot of thought into what it is that he's doing. He, why he's eating meat, why he's permitted to eat meat, what that means. Somehow, if he's a person of, of a spiritual nature, he's going to relate to this, he's going to have the opportunity, the time to relate to this at a spiritual level. And therefore, we don't have to create further barriers for him to prevent him from fulfilling his objective. On the other hand, Somebody who just wants to eat a behemoth, wants to have some beef. It doesn't have to think too much about it, but if he's a if he's a cow farmer, a beef farmer, all he needs to do is go into the pen, find a particularly tasty looking cow, get the knife out, do the shita, and do the malicha, do the whatever it is that he needs to do, get the meat ready and cook the meat. Within an hour and a half, he could get that meat ready to eat. The animal is ready for him in the pen. So the Torah tells you, uh-uh, you can't eat the chelev. You're going to have to go through a bit more of a process before you can get to that meat and, and throw it on your barbecue. So that you can go through a bit of a thought process before you eat it. That it's not a rush job to get the meat on the barbecue and to eat meat because you've got the tavo to eat meat. No, no, you're going to have to go through a bit of a process to get it into your head exactly what it is that you're doing. This is a live animal, you're doing shechita, and now you're preparing it, and it's kosher meat, and Hashem has given you these wonderful things that you can eat to satisfy you and enabled you to eat them in a way that's kosher and that's allowed. During all this time, he's going through the porging. Why am I porging it? Because if I don't, then it's not kosher. But if I take the fat out, then it is kosher. You have to go through this thought process of what it means to eat kosher and what it means not to eat kosher, what it means if you eat something that's trafed to your chayv kores, that's a terrible thing, etc., etc. You're going to go through that process because you have to separate the chaylev from the das. Um, you're going to go through a proper um, contemplative process as to what it is exactly that you're doing. That everything that you do in this world, whatever it is, even if it is gathering meat up for a barbecue, it is all part of your service of Hashem for which you have to say, thank you Hashem. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you.